Hi. You're doing renovations in here. Before we get going, after Courier leaves, you got to take the trash out and lifting chairs all over the place here. We need Mike Holmes. Yeah. I Brian de- Ballmer. I decided 60 seconds before we went on the air that I didn't like the chair. Mm-hmm. And I traded it with the one that's on the other side of the room. But it's really awkward to make that exchange. So I had to hoist one kind of over my head to bring it over there and... Now I'm huffing and puffing because I'm out of shape. You're phenomenal, McGarry. Good weekend. Did you get out golfing yesterday? Yes, I went back out to Kingswood. Yep. Wow. It's a little uh, windy yesterday for for, for golf. Well, a little breezy, but that particular course out in LaSalle has uh, a number of holes that are protected from the wind. So I want to say half of them are protected and the other half are a little bit open. Hmm. It was a nice day. It was nice and sunny. I got lots done myself. actually vacuumed out my pool. I got my pump working. Oh, wow. Everything's uh, running. I got one little annoying leak somewhere that's dripping water that's making me angry. But other than that... Productive weekend. Whereas this, the leak is in the pool. No, no, no. Like in the pump system somewhere. I've got a big above ground pool, and so everything's kind of out in the open. So there's just one spot I can see where it's dripping, and I'm going to have to do some engineering. But other than that, it was a good weekend. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Stephen Colbert is in a little hot water. Fred Penner's coming to see us. Chris Jericho's coming to town. Yep. We got tickets for that this afternoon. We're going to do that a little bit earlier than usual, too. We usually do that kind of stuff after 3 o'clock, but for that, we're going to do that before 3 o'clock. So that's your only hint on that front. And uh, something that starts today, and, you know, I'm a guy who got married in November, and by my first wedding anniversary, had two babies at home, so I'm not familiar with infertility. Uh, I'm not trying to make light of it in any way, Canadians. uh, One in uh, six Canadian couples struggling with infertility. This is Canadian Infertility Awareness Week, and we'll uh, visit with an IVF patient and the egg donor in our studio this afternoon. Interested to learn a lot more about IVF and the struggles a lot of uh, couples have when they want to have a baby here in uh, Canada. Affects half a million people in this country, so we'll have that conversation at 2.30. But you referenced the Stephen Colbert situation. This, yeah. Uh, of course, by by now you maybe have heard of the situation where Stephen Colbert made a joke, a joke, I use, I'll use quotation marks around that, uh, regarding Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin and suggesting that, I can't even, I can't repeat it, on television it was it was bleeped out. That's right. Yeah, I don't even know how much. Yeah, I'm not, doesn't matter what One the joke is. One word was bleeped out. The point was it was a joke that is seen by many as a, a homophobic remark. And the next day, Colbert addressed it, but he refused to apologize for it. Oh, am I still the host? I'm still the host! <laughs> now, folks, if you saw my monologue on Monday, uh, you know that I was a little upset with Donald Trump for insulting a friend of mine. So, at the end of that monologue, I had a few choice insults for the president in return. I don't regret that. He, I believe... I believe he can take care of himself. I have jokes. He has the launch codes. So, it's a fair fight. So, while I would do it again, I would change a few words that were cruder than they needed to be. Now, I'm not going to repeat the phrase, but I just want to say, for the record, life is short. And anyone who expresses their love for another person in their own way is, to me, 
an American hero. And I think we can all agree on that. I hope even the president and I can agree on that. Nothing else but that. <laughs> and for once, for once, the big story today is not Donald Trump. So there you go. There's Stephen Colbert doubling down, as they say these days, with regard to his monologue the previous night about Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin and Trump expressing his affection for Trump in a, in a certain fashion. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm, I have mixed emotions about this because I, 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 I suppose I appreciate his, the, the term he used in the sense that it was not something I've ever heard. So it was very creative on that front. Yeah. So I kind of appreciate the creativity, but the implication that goes with it, I, I, I don't like that. And I just wonder if it's one of those things where, where if he, I, I don't believe he's homophobic, I think he just made a, a poor choice of words and re, and realized later, oh, yeah, as he said, I would change some of the words. But so I, I kind of respect the fact that he's not apologizing because I don't believe his intentions were malicious in that sense. And let's realize also this was written by a team of writers. Mm-hmm. The show is pre-recorded. And I've always wondered, why is it pre-recorded? Isn't it just recorded? Anyway, that's another conversation. For another time, Fair <laughs> enough. just recorded uh, to play later in the evening. So there was lots of time for people to decide whether or not uh, they should remove the joke altogether, reshoot the scene. Of course, it was bleeped out. It didn't go to air live. And so when you keep all those things in mind, there are a lot of people involved in this situation that said, yep, we're going to leave it right there. We are going to bleep out what would be an offensive word, no matter what it was prefaced with or, uh, you know, that, that it pre just a juxtaposed, yes, <laughs> juxtapositioned, okay. that, it, that it went ahead of. And the whole idea uh, is that it wasn't just Stephen Colbert making this decision. His entire production team, as writers, said, yeah, we're going to leave it right there because they had lots of time to consider changing Uh, their decision. And so now the FCC, the Federal Communications uh, Commission, is looking at this and saying, well, you know what? Uh, Inappropriate. Maybe inappropriate. And so they're going to take a look at this. That and that is what has also led to some interesting things because, of course, after the the monologue, there was the hashtag Fire Colbert. There were a lot of people who were up in arms over the comment, mm-hmm. and now there are a lot of people who are up in arms that the FCC is investigating because they're saying, like the Writers Guild of America, for example, they're saying that the FCC is trying to censor him and. Whatever. That's not the case. People have filed complaints with the FCC, so they're just doing their job. It's and, their obligation to do so. And investigating it. There doesn't mean that they're going to sanction him or fine him or anything like that. They're just looking into it, and they have to make their decision. There are some arguments in favor of the show because they are protected from certain things between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., so there's that. There's also the fact that not only did they bleep the word, but they... Sort of, uh, they they muffled. What's the term I'm looking for? Well, they 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 altered the video yeah, over blurred. his mouth. They blurred his blurred his mouth, so you couldn't do any lip reading, right? Yeah. So the 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 show, the network went out of the way to ensure that the language was not presented 
on television. You can tell what they were saying, but they didn't directly say it. So there is a very good chance that nothing is going to come out of this by the FCC, but people file complaints, so they have to look into it. Have you noticed that ever since, and I'm not trying to turn this around on Donald Trump, but it's going to sound like I am, but ever since the video of him and Billy Bush and the audio from the video on the bus, you know the one I'm talking about, and the words that were uttered and subsequently not bleeped, that word was used very freely on the news, yep. on talk shows, for weeks and weeks, and to this point remains now an acceptable word when you're referencing this story. That incident and that discussion that Billy Bush and Donald Trump had that many have characterized as locker room talk, others have characterized it as the description of sexual assault, whether you feel it's one, the other, or somewhere in between, that word, the P word now, has become acceptable in certain frames of reference and certain conversations on air. And I've seen on CNN in particular, the conversation and the language change dramatically since that clip has now become a part of the commentary, part of the record, so to speak, of the, of the last year or so. Interesting. So, hmm. So is the, the comparison then that the P word is okay, but the C word, mm-hmm. and, we're not, and we're not talking about Colbert. No. The, the C word that Colbert used is, is unacceptable. That was not my intention okay. in bringing that up, but perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. I haven't no I haven't noticed it myself. Do you think that that word I I don't I would never use the the p word on air. I would, I, n- I would never use it either. Off air? I I I am I have a foul mouth. <laughs> but on air? No. There is a time and place for everything and I would never deem I'm uncomfortable with that word off air. Really? Never mind on air. Talking about the p word. Okay. Uh Donald Trump's famous p word. Uh, I heard Fareed Zakaria on CNN call uh, not bleeped, not shortened in any way, uh, Donald Trump a BSer. Wow. In the middle of the day, a couple of weeks ago. And that clip has been replayed more than once. It was not bleeped. And I think, in fact, he used it twice, if not three times, in the same interview. That is... That's weird. And I don't know that I like that. You Again. and I have had, and, and the reason I wanted to talk to you about this today, because you and I have had the conversation about doing a podcast. Yes. Okay. Everybody's doing a podcast right now. Uh, a lot of the reasons podcasts are popular uh, by famous people. It's a besi- behind the, the scenes work. I'm not suggesting that you and I are famous people. All I'm suggesting is that there are individuals that don't host talk shows are now doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people find those very entertaining, A, because it's a behind-the-scenes look at people who are famous for other things, actors, athletes, etc., and to get their positions on politics, on social issues, and an opportunity for them to discuss those things. The other side of it is that many people who are in traditional media are doing podcasts now where they're a little bit freer with their language. And that's a discussion you and I have had 
Because you and I, outside of this studio, and you just admitted it on air, people that know me know that I like to use colorful language from time to time and aren't shy to do so off the air. And I said to you, maybe a podcast would be an opportunity for you and I to express ourselves, I think, as much as we declare the microphone the vacuum of honesty— we do mind our language. We are careful with our words on this program. It would be an opportunity for us to be a little bit even more like ourselves. And you're uncomfortable with that notion. And I will tell you why. After your forecast, we do need to have a look at that as well. And on the subject of podcasts, by the way, Mackling and McGarry is available on iTunes or Google Play. I tried to get it uploaded to the podcast by about 5 o'clock every afternoon. So if you miss the show or you want to go back and re-listen to a part of the show, you can download the podcast on, once again, Google Play or iTunes. Your forecast is coming up next. 121 on this Monday afternoon. Mackling McGarry, I'm Greg. He's Brett. And yes, uh, Fareed Zakaria used the, the, the BS terminology in its full form three times in two sentences in describing Donald Trump three times in three sentences as I read the transcript. Happened on Don Lemon's show, which is a little bit later, but I I am 95% certain I saw it later on uh, the next day, like during the day when they were replaying or rebroadcasting Zakaria's comments. It, was, it had to do with the Department of Justice report not confirming <laughs> Trump's wiretap. Claim. So we were talking about the idea of podcasts and communicating uh, in an open and honest, honest fashion. And you were about to answer why you don't like the idea or why you're uncomfortable with the idea of having a podcast where you and I might speak a little bit more as though we were in the newsroom or on the golf course. Because that that's not our quote unquote personality. That's not what we do here at 680 CJOB, it's not our mandate to to communicate that way. It's our, our, our mandate to communicate to a wider audience. And if we were to, so let's say we recorded a podcast where we spoke a bit more, quote-unquote, honestly, we you know, we have a policy here, and I, I it's a policy that I believe in. If it's not good enough to broadcast, it's mm-hmm. not good enough to go on social media. It's not good enough to, to put out there in another form. So I would we wouldn't... Technically, just by that policy, we wouldn't be able to share it. But I just believe that there's a there's a time and a place, and that's not what we do here. So doing the a podcast where we're doing it a little bit differently, I just don't think that that was. I'm not saying that there isn't a time. There isn't a like. I'm not a prude. I oh, love. Oh, I know I, that foul. When it comes to stand up comics, attend the Fowler leads tends to be more. Amusing to me. I really like foul. I like when comedians go like the the inappropriate comedy. Love it. But that's not what we do here on 680 CJOB. And if we turned around and did a podcast where we just started weaving a tapestry of obscenity, as I've referred to in the past, I, I think that that would be, I just think it would be unnatural and I would feel forced personally. I'm not saying that it would be forced, but I would feel like I'm doing it just because. Right. And I'm not suggesting that that would be the, the center port, port uh, uh, or point of our discussion. But we have lots of comedians in this studio. Uh-huh. We know that on stage, 
They speak a certain way yeah. when they come here. They have to alter the communication style in order uh, to accommodate us here and the CRTC and our listeners, our code of conduct, the way that we want to conduct ourselves, uh, not only as 680 CJOB, but in our three hours, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, Bill Maher, I think, is a prime example of someone who uses every word in the English language during his program on HBO, but because of his take on things, he's becoming a quote-unquote respected commentator on politics, someone that looks at things differently. He's invited onto mainstream broadcast programs now. He knows he has to alter his language and change the way he presents himself. So in that inverse fashion, wouldn't that be a similar thing? I don't think so because HBO, for one, is a subscription. It's a it's something you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. And HBO has always been at the forefront of racier or pushing the envelope kind of programming. And it's and it, it's it all of its programming. I think it, well, I shouldn't say all of it, but they have so much programming that is R rated. So it's that's the kind of show where you watch it with almost with the expectation of that is going to have some saltier language. And if you didn't have the expectation, well, it's that's like if you wouldn't have HBO, you wouldn't pay for it if you didn't know what it is. So I would find it difficult to just happen to stumble upon real time with Bill Maher right. and where he's dropping F bombs. Right. And you're signing no up idea, for it. Yeah, you had no idea that it was coming. Yeah, no, and that and I think that's fair fair commentary. I'd love to hear from you. Uh 204-780-6868. Are you uncomfortable with the type of language? That is being exhibited uh, not only uh, in news programs. I, I use the Fried Zakaria example, Stephen Colbert's uh, comment, even though it was blurred, his mouth was blurred, and his uh, word was bleeped out, even though mm, it's impossible not to know what he was saying. Would love to hear from you. Are you uncomfortable with these changes? And do we need to uh, clamp down on them? The FCC saying they will look into, they're obligated to look into complaints about Colbert's comments. We'll get your comments when we return. A variety of conversations uh, stemming off from our main one, the fact that the FCC in the United States is reviewing Stephen Colbert's joke from his Wednesday night monologue about Donald Trump, a diatribe of insults, a, a list of them, a whole litany, laundry list of of insults towards the President of the United States. Uh, the following night, Colbert uh, insisted that he was not sorry for what he'd said. The FCC was uh, bar- had a barrage of complaints, and now they're obligated to investigate the situation. And it got us talking about the changing language on television, whether it's on cable or mainstream media. And we also were discussing whether or not Brett would be comfortable. I already know that he's not comfortable with the idea of doing a podcast where our language doesn't have to be so censored like it is here on CGOB in the middle of the day. And Mike is at 204-780-6868, has been waiting patiently. Mike, thanks for your patience. What do you have to say on this issue? No problem. Uh, thanks, guys. I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the language has definitely changed. Um, I don't think um, it's, <laughs> I think it's pretty edgy. Uh, we, they don't need stuff like that on, on public TV, especially during uh, maybe late night or on cable or, or paper, pay-per-view is fine. But um, even I notice even on hockey night in Canada or hockey games, 
there's a lot of times where you can hear f bombs being shouted out by the players because they got the mics situated all around the uh, by the benches and by ice level and everything, and that's supposed to be family viewing. And um, there's no way that should be allowed. Uh, it's just a little bit ridiculous. And another example is uh, there used to be a good show on last year. It was called The Good Wife. It was a very good show, very interesting, and there was no uh, words like that involved. But uh, since that show has gone on and branched off into another show, uh, very similar called The Good Fight, which has some of the same stars, not all of them, but that one's gotten really, uh, it's like black and white. It's gotten, the language has gotten really rough on that one. So, um, yeah, and I don't think it's necessary. No, you know, uh, we just don't have to listen to that type of garbage. Mike, strong call. You uh, call us back anytime. We appreciate your perspective on this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Enjoy your show. We appreciate you saying that. I'm not sure who we are trying to protect. This coming from Rick at 780-6868 via text. When it comes to bad language, kids, well, kids aren't really drawn to CNN or other talk news shows. As long as the context calls for it, I see no problem with bad language. Context, is that important to you, Brett? Well, it, it, I don't know if it's context, but it's it has to do, I think it's the the time and the place, as we mentioned if I'm watching a show on HBO, I, I'm, I actually ex- am kind of sad if there isn't, you know, if I'm watching a program on HBO right. that doesn't have violence or salty language or perhaps some nudity, I don't know, then I kind of go, well, I could have watched that on ABC. You know, I've, I'm paying extra for HBO. I expect a little bit extra. But if I'm watching a show that is on network television, then I would find it a little bizarre that there would be the the language would be dirty. I mean, let me give an example. One of the greatest episodes of television of all time, quite frankly, and I think many would agree with this is the Seinfeld episode, the master of your domain. That episode was, it was, well, for one, it was just funny, but two, it was, it put on a clinic on how to talk about something, which is quite frankly, dirty and a little, and taboo, but they never, not once, do they ever even, we all know what, what Kramer went and did when he ran away for, I don't know, two minutes and came back and said, I'm out. We know right. what happened. Right. But it never was referenced directly. And it was still hilarious. Right. And I think it was partly hilarious because of the way that they very, the way they tap danced around it. How clever it was. How non-salacious it was. Yes. So, and I, I, it's not that I have a problem with bad language. I just think that in, a, in an environment like this or what, like watching CNN, I don't, I don't really think of CNN as, as family viewing, but, and I, I do find it odd that, that he would use the, the BS language. But I, I just think that it's not so much about protecting against kids. I just think not everybody likes to hear that kind of language. Sometimes I take phone calls in our newsroom where, They'll say, hey, I heard this on such and such a show, and I don't know that you really think that sort of language is necessary. So it's not so much that protecting against kids. I think it's just not everybody wants to hear that. Right. So if you're listening to a mainstream show that is put out there for everyone, then it should be accessible to everyone. And if you want stuff that has more salty language, then you can go to... Another avenue. So in that sense, then, yes, I suppose a podcast where we made it abundantly clear that that's the kind of language you might get 
like if there was a warning label, that's fine. I still don't think I would be personally comfortable because that's what that's not what Brett McGarry 680 CJOB does. Right. So that's just why I would be uncomfortable having a separate podcast where it's like, well, I'm a no, here all we the go. Rules. No more rules now. But it's not the that shackles I, are off. It's not that I have a problem with that kind of language. Right. It's just I don't I don't personally have a, a need or a desire to do that. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the disclaimers, right? Uh, this this show or presentation may include uh, uh, lewd language, crass uh, references, and uh, nudity. And it's like, is that a promise or is that a warning? (laughs) Because there were times in your life that you were hoping it was a promise, right? Yes. Right? We were talking. Weren't we talking about uh, French CBC on Friday nights back in the day when we had four channels and French CBC was one of them on a Friday or Saturday night. Sometimes uh, you could uh, see some things that you wouldn't otherwise see. Yes, that's on true. On the French CBC. So I uh, always w- was wondering if you, you'd prefer that to be a promise or a warning. There's a text here at 204-780-6868 that says, if you don't like it, don't watch it. I personally like to, now this is a reference to the hockey, I personally like to hear the players swear and mouth off to each other in playoff hockey. That's why the playoffs are awesome. That's and that, Regarding the sports thing, that is tough because... Yes, they they everything's mic'd up now, right? They're trying to make it as make it as immersive an experience as possible. So you're not just getting it in the video in high definition, but the sound is also there. They want it to make it like you're not at the game, but you're at the game. But as a side shoot of that, you're going to hear these things and they're 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 athletes and yes, they're professionals, but they're still in the moment. Do you remember when Richard Sherman did his post-game interview in Seattle when the Seahawks were going to their first Super Bowl? And he was on the field. In fact, he hadn't even stepped off the field after making one of the best plays of his football life. And he was boisterous. He was loud. He was audacious. And he got slammed from every corner, whether it was some media, some fans, and general observers were, they were, this is outlandish that this man was allowed to speak this way, and and who did he think he was, and can't you be more professional? We demand, we ask, we want athletes to be outside the lines. We want them to perform on the field, outside the lines. We're even comfortable with them breaking the rules from time to time. And then when this guy expressed himself honestly, all of a sudden he's a gangster and everybody's got all sorts of uh, uh, kind and harsh words for him somewhere in between. Did he swear in this interview? Mm, I don't remember him swearing at all. Because I have a video here. I just quickly Googled it. It's Richard Sherman rips Michael Crabtree and Aaron at... It's a 30-second clip. Can yep. I play this? I I would say you're very, very safe to play it. Uh, Jeff Forche, get your finger on the button there, buddy. Joe, thank you so much. Richard, let me ask you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Are you on the center for you real quick? L-O-B. All right, before... And Joe, back over to you. Did he just say Michelle? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? So that's unusual. People didn't expect that. Aaron Andrews has interviewed, done uh, hundreds of sideline interviews, post-game interviews over the years. She was blown away by 
by Richard Sherman's uh, tactics Mm -hmm. and the way he approached that interview. And I loved it. I absolutely love that because it's unfiltered. Uh, fortunately, he minded his P's and Q's, didn't swear, and but he was he was absolutely unbridled. It was full of passion, and there's nothing worse than a hockey player giving you all the cliches, right? Mm. That's the most boring interview of all time. And then you get that, which I would say is pure gold, and people had a problem with it. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't want that immediate reaction from a guy and then go, uh, why did you? Why were you mean to Michael Crabtree? That wasn't very kind of you. Mm. You know, like, that was pure, that was unbridled, that was his purest form of emotion at the time. You're, I know you're right. I, it's, it is nice to some to see honesty from whether it's athletes or coaches. What I was I've been thinking about this, and I made the comment that uh, the, now that they've got the microphones everywhere, you're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna hear an f bomb here and there. But we took that call uh, where they said, you know, I don't want to hear that stuff. They they shouldn't be allowed to hear, or they shouldn't be allowed to conduct themselves that way. And maybe if they're professionals. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should be part of their mandate. You're a professional athlete. We're on TV. Yes, you can be intense, but maybe just mind the language. See, the other way I would have it, I would have a separate channel for those that want to hear it all. So have the have the the game broadcast on network television that is perhaps in a delayed situation where the language is, is bleeped and then have it on a separate like a subscription sports a channel? subscription feed where you can hear it all. Okay. You know, my wife adores certain players on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh-huh. I'm not going to out anybody on the air here. Okay. But I know how a lot of them talk during the game. It's very different from how they talk to us in the dressing room after the game, after they've had some time to cool off. There's a little cooling off period before we're allowed to go in the dressing room and interview the guys after the game. They're very polite. Some of them talk a little bit more free than others. Those are the good interviews. Those are the guys that in the sports department we like to talk to because they are a little bit more honest with their answers. And I personally would love, would love more microphones on players and would love to see how they speak to one another, how they interact with other players. It would blow your mind. Do you remember when I did the Easter Seals drop zone Yes. Live on 680. I sure do. The first time I did it, I did it twice. So this is this the thing where on the RBC building downtown on Portage Avenue where you rappel down the side of the building. I was doing it live on the air. I was mic'd up. And the first time I did it, I fell off of the building. When they they said, you ready for some, some more slack? We're going to give you slack. So just imagine you're standing on the top of the RBC building. You're holding a rope. And you're... <laughs> I've never rappelled. So... You have to tell yourself it's okay to lean over the edge, which is it goes against all of your survival instincts. Of but, course, you know I had they they gave us some brief training, so they said, "Okay, here comes the slack," and I just toppled over. I fell over and I hit the building really hard. My butt hit the building, so I'm hanging 17 stories above Portage Avenue. But because it was on the air, my main concern was don't swear. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so that's kind of what that's where I were wanted to circle back. To no, the and do you know what? There are a lot of people who might be uh, capable of that. I, I don't want my athletes censoring themselves on the field yeah. or on the on the ice. That, that that's I'm not interested in that. I like honesty in all forms of communication as best as we can do it. And yes, sometimes it's filtered and it has to be managed based on the forum and the opportunity. And we do that here every single day. We make sure that the content is appropriate for our listeners. We don't talk about just the stuff we want to talk about. I know it sounds like that sometimes, but there are a lot of times when we go, yeah, that sounds interesting to you and I, but that's not going to have broad appeal or mass appeal to enough of our listeners to make it worthwhile for us to have that discussion. We're going to continue the discussion after your forecast. We have a couple of text messages that we've not yet gotten to and if you have more feedback that you want to share with us 204-780-6868 and we may also have some prizes to give away before the hour is out your forecast is next i'm brett he is greg we started the hour with a conversation about stephen colbert and the fact that the fcc is investigating complaints about the situation last week where colbert made a joke about vladimir putin and donald trump The word holster uh, was involved. Uh, Donald Trump's mouth was involved. That's about as far as I can really go in explaining it. He didn't apologize for it the next day. He kind of stuck to his guns, simply saying, maybe I was a little crude, but he wouldn't apologize for it. And some are accusing him of being homophobic and have complained to the FCC, so they are looking into it. That triggered a discussion about just language in general. We're starting to hear saltier language on CNN, for example, and we want to know what you think of the fact that maybe language is, what is acceptable in terms of offensive language. So Mike has been waiting at 204-780-6868. Hey, Mike, what do you think? Well, I've got two comments, gentlemen. The first is I'm curious what you think of athletes who choose not to say anything. And the classic example I think of is Cam Newton after the Super Bowl really was so upset and frustrated that his response was, I want to get out of here. I don't really want to meet my so-called media obligations. And as soon as you say the word obligation, you know, you're, you're not going to get a great comment anyways. I'm curious how you feel about athletes um, choosing not to say anything. Out of frustration or whatever emotional response. I haven't been in a dressing room, uh, Mike, where that's taken place. But when I see that, it's like, yeah, guys, uh, just quit asking the question. Let him go. Uh, You know, media obligations are what they are. It's supposed to be part of the job. But trying to flog a dead horse, I think, is painful and uh, almost disrespectful to the audience more so than the athlete. The, I maybe make it more painful for the athlete because he is obligated to, to speak to the public via the media. It's part of his job. And how about this one? How do you feel about athletes when they are very negative towards the media? And I'll give you two very well-known examples. Uh, just before Phil Kessel left Toronto, there was a media scrum where it was implied he was uncoachable. Mm-hmm. And his comment was, what do you think of this idiot? He's like that all the time. And the second one um, is... Uh, Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. It was, it was a really good example. Oh, Barry Bonds, where Barry Bonds was asked <laughs> the question, and he says, next question. They go, why? Because it was stupid. How do you feel about athletes being open, unfiltered, honest, use the terms you use, but very critical of the media that they're interacting with? Love it. Okay. I love I, it. I ask because I, I find the media can be the biggest critic and sometimes defensive of their role, So I'm thrilled to hear that you're open to honest intercourse, perhaps negative, 
um, with athlete and negativity directed towards media. I, I like it as long as it's honest, Mike, and, and that's why we try to do the type of radio that we do here. Uh, we try to be honest and, and have a voice and give everyone voice on the topic, and we love it when you call, brother. We appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Mike, thank you for the call at 204-780-6868. We have just under two minutes left. Which means, and I, I, I own apology to Kristen if she's listening right now. She emailed and said, hey, I know you guys are doing these prizes. What time are you doing it? And I said, we're going to try to do it at 134, and now we're doing it at 154. So sorry, Kristen. Because it's prize time involving Y2J. Welcome to Raw is Jericho! We have... Two beat the box office tickets to Chris Jericho, the words of Jericho. Friday, August 25th at the Club Region Event Center. It's well known he's from Winnipeg, as he once pointed out to a wrestling fan who was heckling him. I can listen to that over and over again. I think I've done so. battle he's still <laughs> proud of his winnipeg roots <laughs> now he grew up in winnipeg but he was not born here where was he born 204-780-6868 is the number to call i need you to call not text 204-780-6868 where was winnipeg wrestler chris jericho born 204-780-6868 if you know the answer We've got two beat-the-box-office tickets waiting for you to Chris Jericho, the words of Jericho, Friday, August 25th at the Club Regent Event Center. Another great Manitoban, Fred Penner, joins us after Global News on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett, he is Greg, and before we introduce our guest for this half hour, we just want to quickly congratulate Tyson Geisler, who won the tickets, the beat the box office tickets to Chris Jericho, the words of Jericho, which is Friday, August 25th at the Club Region Event Center. The question has to do with where he was born, because it's well known he's from Winnipeg. Again, as we once pointed out, as he once pointed out to a wrestling fan who was heckling him. So the question is, where was he born? And the answer is Manhasset, New York. There ain't a better body in the world than this gorgeous piece of meat. That clip doesn't have anything to do with the answer. It just makes me laugh. So I <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to play it. So congratulations, Tyson. And we have more Chris Jericho tickets to give away. Right, what, what is that? What do you think it is? I wasn't done talking, but okay. Oh, keep talking. <laughs> keep going. No, no, that's okay. Keep going. Or it's supposed to be a, what you call a music bed, but I'm not very good at executing them. Finish your uh, diatribe. We have more tickets to give away all week, so congratulations, Tyson. Enjoy the show. Sing that chorus again with me. Ready? This is, this is my favorite Fred Penner song. I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time. I eat them for my supper and I eat them for my lunch. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once. It's not the Cat Came Back or any of those cliché songs. It's a sandwiches song. Fred Penner joins us in studio from one favorite son of Winnipeg and Chris Jericho to another in Fred Penner. Fred, thanks for taking some time with us, sir. Gentlemen, a pleasure to be here. Hello. Hello there. So what is your favorite sandwich? Uh, Yeah, a lot of people ask me that. It used to be peanut butter and, and honey. 
And now it's sort of morphed into, you know, as the years go by, you, you appreciate a nice a nice roasted vegetable with uh, with with a little balsamic something and oh, some feta. No, you know. Really? Wow. <laughs> Okay, I'll take I like for it. sandwiches, all all of them. Fantastic. Don't ask me again, okay? I won't ask you again. We did have a conversation, though. Just very briefly, tell you this: we had a conversation about sandwiches, and uh, that I think was triggered by the fact that we asked, yes, blue, three blue bombers in a row th- in three different days, oh, and yeah. they all said peanut butter and jelly was their favorite. So it is funny that you bring up peanut butter. It's just one of those time-honored traditions. That's right. It's it, it's comfort food, they say. Well, and the kids can't even take those to school anymore, which no, is no, really, really disheartening for a lot of parents. Yeah. yeah. There's no such thing as a quick lunch anymore. So uh, hear the music. Hear you, the music. You're, you're back. Now, what made you decide to record more music? Because even when you go to see, you know, uh, Van Halen or... You know, name the the top rock and roll band, ACDC, the Foo Fighters. Sometimes the most dreaded saying and the most (laughs) dreaded words spoken at that concert are, I'm going to play something Uh, from our new new album. album. No, no, what about the old stuff? Yeah, it was was time. I mean, I I continue to write. I've been writing for for my adult career, 45 years plus. And uh, and I and I had this bank of of tunes that I've I've been doing in, in live performance, good response from the audience, but I've never I've never recorded them. There were four or five of those, and uh, plus many others that new tunes that I've come up with that that I also wanted to bring forward. And there was a concept of six seven years ago uh, through Pacan Ed Entertainment, the booking agency that I work with, and uh, and Hoxley Workman. Uh, to try and do a duets album, so I, I worked with Hoxley for a couple of weeks, and we 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 played with some of the songs, and and then our careers both got really busy, and uh, so we never really completed it. And then when uh, when this this time came around, I talked to Ken Whiteley, who's uh, the producer of this one. He's done previous recordings for me, and uh, we were both really excited about about new approaches and uh, and just bringing these songs forward and giving them the feel that. That we wanted, and uh, and the duet concept was still part of it. So once the songs were were being recorded, it was well, who would be a good match for this song? I wrote a tune called La Vida, a Spanish song, and Alex Cuba and I have been, become friends over the years. So it was logical to go there, and a couple of gentler tunes that were perfect for Ron Sexsmith, and then and then Basha Bulat snuck in with some tracks, and so it, it just opened up this channel. The Good Lovelies as well. Uh, so these are people who grew up with me. They are known as Fredheads, and they and they have now become uh, you know fans. I become fans of theirs. They're fans of mine, and we were we're very excited to work together. Where did Fredheads come from? Do you know who coined that? Well, it's a uh, it's an alliteration. You see, Fred and Head uh, rhyme. Yes, no, that. <laughs> oh, that's not what you meant. So. <laughs> I was wondering if, if somebody uh, specifically coined it. <laughs> somewhere, yeah. somewhere along the way, somebody came up with that with that idea. Well, of course, you're Grateful Dead, right? Their fans are yeah, called that, Dead Deadheads. Dead so there's exactly. a, there's sure a there's bit a link of, there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, I'm looking more and more like Jerry Garcia as the days go by. That so. can't be denied in yeah. any way, shape, or form. You've got one of your signature hats on, a fedora, I think, today. Little fedora, you bet. Fantastic. So talk about this idea of now performing. You just 
outline some of the incredible artists that you performed with on this album. And yes, we're allowed to call it that because yeah. will this be printed in, in, vi- in vinyl? Possibly. It's there's not, a chance. You know, not for sure. Yeah. Well, you because you, you you've got to look at the who the market might be. I mean, parents now are not going to mess around with with vinyl. Kids might that that next generation might, but you you know it's it's a big expense to do that now. Well, hopefully it will. Not as many, but. Hopefully it will. You're an audio file? You prefer vinyl? I prefer, I way prefer vinyl. There's nothing like hearing that first play totally. no, on, a, on a piece of vinyl. Yeah. It's uh, absolutely second to none, and yeah. you hear things that you would never hear otherwise. What's it like to be recording like with someone like Ron Sexsmith, who is so successful in his own right, exactly. and then declares himself a fan of yours? Uh, that's got to be a little bit surreal to you. We're talking about it's, surreal for us it, to have you here. It really, it, it really is. I... I I, I love Ron. He's uh, he's such a lovely, talented person. I've I've known his wife for uh, for years, Colleen, who just had a birthday, in fact, and uh, and and he's he's such a talented and understated person. You now he's got a great sense of humor. If you follow any of his Twitter feeds, you'll know that's true. Uh, but he, he's just a lovely man. And and when when I asked him if he wanted to be part of it, there was no question. He was ready to step up to the plate. So uh, that's that's brilliant. I mean, I'm I'm chuffed to say the least. So this experience then of working with all of these different artists that you've brought in uh, includes uh, working with your kids. So what's My that like? Children, oh, it, that's that's the best. I have four children. Son is thirty five. The girls are thirty one, twenty eight, twenty six. Three grandchildren in there. That's fun. But uh, it's one of the most honorable parts of uh, of a parent's life. I think is to have your kids with you. You know, in a, in a performance, and they've been on stage with me for years and years, and they've performed in other recordings along the way. But this this was bigger because as as adults, their their voices have matured. They they get along really well together. So they provided the background vocals for most of the songs. Just got a text message uh, from a listener who says, All I right. was at one of the Ward Child concerts years ago. Oh, my. There were several, quote-unquote, big-name bands and artists there. But from what I saw, no one had a bigger or louder or longer round of applause than when Fred Penner came on stage. Mm. It was remarkable. Loved it. And the song he performed was beautiful as well. Do you remember that experience? I remember the, the Ward Child world, Samantha... Dr. Sam, she's she's known. Uh, she and her partner have have been spearheading the War Child thing for years. I I remember the event. I don't remember the song, off the top of my head. How do you maintain your your modesty when you you get a text message like that? Uh, as I just between like as I was running in to read the news, we have a guest who's waiting to come on at two thirty, yes. and I heard her say, "You, I sat in your lap That's when right. I was a kid. You know, they, wherever you go, people know who you are and love you and adore you. It's it's quite it's a little overwhelming it's very very sweet i uh and i'm often surprised at the reactions that happen and they they because i don't as a performer you can't anticipate that that's going to happen because as soon as you do then you're then you you've moved into an, an arrogant and very egocentric you know path and and that's never been my journey i've i came into this business because i recognize the value of music in in the in the lives of children and their parents and grandparents but uh, understanding that music can make a difference in the life of a child and being respectful to the child having worked with special needs kids along the way that that it's it, it's basically drop your ego at the door and come on in because this this is important there's value 
to be had in this uh, in this world of performing. Where did your love of music come from? Uh, birth, I think, maybe had something to do with it. Uh, my my <laughs> parents. You're human. You have a heartbeat. <laughs> yes, that's therefore, exactly. you love music. That's where it starts. Starts with the heartbeat. <laughs> And my parents listened to the uh, the swing music from the 40s. My older brother and sister were into the, the, the 50s rock and roll and early boy bands. Lots of classical music from my dad, orchestral stuff. So I was surrounded by uh, um, recorded music. We didn't make a lot of live other than some piano stuff. And then uh, once I started playing guitar when I was 15... Um, Get out the get out the songbooks. Start start swapping licks with people. Learning the songs of the '60s. That beautiful generation uh, was all about learning protest songs, learning powerful songs that had good choruses. And I'm sure that's where much of my desire to engage an audience came from. So, where did you become this beloved? children's entertainer versus becoming Pete Seeger. Mm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Some, somewhere in the middle there. Uh, well, I, I had, as I said, I'd worked with special needs kids and music was my, my contact point with them. Um, in the early 70s, my, my sister and father passed away and so I was on the line with mortality to figure out what I was going to do and music was obviously the, the, the bliss for me so I, I started playing lounges and bars and then met up with Al Simmons Dear Al, and we started a, or yet, uh, started a band called Cornstalk Comedy Troupe, and we toured together. And then late in the, in the, in the 70s, my, uh, my now ex-wife started a children's dance theater company, and that led into doing uh, the first recording. The cat came back, and, and then things just started rolling from there. The TV series was placed on my lap in 1985. I had no desire, or not desire, but no... Uh, expectation that television would be part of my life, and and they they thought that it should be, and away we went. My dad, uh, by the way, uh, says he used to wait in line uh, around the block to to watch Cornstalk <laughs> perform. So, uh, all right, here's to dad. So uh, you've got your guitar here. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so we're okay. gonna we're gonna check your forecast, and then Mr. Penner here, Fred Penner is going to play for us on 680 CJOB. I said Celsius just for you, uh, Fred. Just wanted to make sure you didn't think it was 18 degrees Fahrenheit. What? <laughs> Fred Penner's in the studio. One of the, hey, never mind the favorite children's performer <laughs> of all time. He's one of the great Winnipeg ambassadors of mm. all time. And and you, uh, you're you proud of being from here, aren't you, Fred? Oh, totally. My parents were raised in Winkler-Morton area. Uh, the, the farm stock, the Mennonite background, that's, that's my history. And I am very, very proud of it. I spent a lot of, well, I spent my whole life here. And uh, I've, I've, I've remarried in the last... In the last year, and then my wife has a condominium in Toronto, and I've got a condo here, so I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth, and life is full and busy and exciting and travel and all, all of the above. Well, congratulations on the, mar- the remarriage, hey, by you. the way. Uh, the album, Fred Penner, Hear the Music, you have brought your guitar. You're going to play a track for us. Yes, it's in the key of F, those of you who have your guitars nearby. <laughs> it's, uh, the song is called I Hear the Music, the title track of the album. 
I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. There's the clickety clack as the train goes by. Sound of a jet plane in the sky. A couple of dogs barking down the street, saying hi. How are you? When they meet, a little bird sitting on my windowsill, singing a song. What a trill! A baby and her brother laughing in the house. Cats in the corner, quiet as a mouse. Oh, I. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. Walking to the corner or standing still, my eyes and ears never get their fill. Maybe hot and sunny or a gentle rain is tap tap tapping on my window pane. 'Cause the world is turning, I can feel the beat from the tips of my fingers to the soles of my feet. I love life and everything I do is all about the rhythm and the songs for you. Oh, I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. Say. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around. Join in. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. I hear the music every minute of the day. I can hear it all around me. Wow. I got him singing. I got him singing. All right. That was a thrill of a lifetime. I've got chills up and down my spine. And、uh, Fred, we actually had a, a cat named after you. Oh, did you? We called him Penner because、uh, he escaped from our house one day,、oh, and、yeah. he was gone for about four weeks. And I came down the stairs one day, and there was this little cat mewing at the front door. Mew. Let him in.、Mew. Ran right to the mum. Yeah. And was like, oh my gosh, that's the kitten. That's There it is. literally the cat that came back, <laughs> and that cat was in our family for easily six years, and、oh, we、sweet. called it Penner. That's great. I appreciate.、There、thank you, you very、go. much. Honored to be named after feline. <laughs> so the、Or、feline after me. Hear the music. Where、yeah. does one purchase the the physical uh, CD? Uh, there, the physical CD. I believe it's going to be available in the Walmart stores. Hopefully, it's there now.、Uh, McNally Robinson. Uh, we'll be carrying them, and then of course there's digital copy on iTunes, Linus Entertainment. If you go to fredpenner.com to the website, there are links there, and I, I'll be posting. You know, it's it's only been out since the 23rd of April, so it's only been a couple of weeks, but I'll I'll be posting where people can buy product there. You play that song so naturally.、Yeah. I mean, not that I would expect anything different, but it just got me wondering: how many songs do you have rattling around in your brain that you can just call upon at any time? Thousands, literally. If 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 you if you give me if if you give me a key, just tell me a key. I'll I I can I can come up with a song within within seconds. Oh my God, it's a gift, and it, it was a gift for us to have you in studio and to perform、uh, like that. What a treat、uh, it was for us, and an an honor. As Greg pointed out, thank you so much for coming in. Do you want to go on the road with singing like that? <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, the only thing we'd be good for is cleaning up after you, partner. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> the real Fred Penner on Twitter. Give him a follow. Thanks, Gentlemen, Fred. thank you. The news is next. 2.34 on this Monday afternoon. Thanks once again to Fred Penner for joining us this afternoon in the studio. I know it was a thrill for our next guests to come to talk about what we're going to talk about and then have the bonus of meeting the legendary children's entertainer, Fred Penner. And uh, we'll have that interview up on Omni later on this afternoon after our show. Brett, will you be editing out our singing? No, there's no way for me to do that. Darn. So luckily it was just, I think, more of it sounded more of like a background hum. Just this kind of nuisance sound in the background. What is that? Were you tapping your toe? Uh, No. It was hard not to... You know, it's infectious when I just had a big, stupid smile on my face the whole time. So it was like you were nine years old all over (laughs) again. And so this ties into our conversation. How? Well, not only because our two guests were thrilled to meet Fred Penner face to face, but we're talking about kids and we're talking about the idea that one in six Canadian couples are struggling with infertility. Canadian Infertility Awareness Week uh, runs started yesterday, runs through to the 13th. And we have uh, Rosalind and Allison in the studio today. And did I say that wrong? Rosalie. Rosalie. I'm sorry, Rosalie. And uh, I have Rosie here. So I was trying to, I was trying to, uh, to uh, fake it here till I make it. Uh, uh, it's common uh, on this program. Allison is an IVF patient and her sister Rosie is an egg donor. And maybe you can explain to us, Allison, how this all works. Sure. So um, I have uh, a lack of eggs, basically, um, and my sister is giving her eggs as a substitute. Um, so she does basically the first half of the IVF where they retrieve the eggs and then they're combined with my husband's sperm and later implanted into my own uterus. It's a Fascinating technology, something that's been available for a long time, but something that is very expensive and something that is necessary for a lot of people to, to have their own children. So talk about how long you've been trying to have have uh, kids with your husband uh, in the conventional sense. Can we call it that? Are you offended sure. by that no, terminology? We're treading on things that are a little uncomfortable and really uh, unknown to me. So uh, just really discovering along with Brett and our listeners on along with this stuff. So forgive us if we if we uh, use some terminology that might be less than politically correct. That's okay. It's great to lean into discomfort uh, with taboo. And I'm very happy to answer questions uh, and educate because people do have a lot of questions surrounding IVF. It's very interesting. Many people don't need to learn about it, so they don't understand it very well. Um, you and your husband have been yeah, trying to right. have kids for how long now? Um, we started trying about three years ago. Um, we were trying to um, have children at the same time. We're very close sisters and we're very close in age. My son will be turning three in July. So it's been yeah, a little over that. About- yeah, a bit over three years. Allison, you said that you have a lack of eggs. Does that mean that you your body does not produce eggs at all? or That's you- correct, yeah. So what I have is um, basically like early menopause. Uh, it's actually called premature ovarian failure, which means that any eggs that I would have had are now gone. So is that is that something that has you've just discovered has happened in the last three years? 
Yeah, so I got my diagnosis a little over a year ago. It was January last year. Um. And so when you get that diagnosis, obviously, right, you, you, you're doing you're doing things in order to, to get pregnant. I'm sure you mm-hmm. tried a lot of different tricks, a lot of different old wives' tales. Tell us, you know, as best as you can, some of the things that you that you might have discovered and what led you to the discovery. Finally, I guess you went to a doctor and, yeah. and said, hey, something's, something's not happening here. Yeah, so um, firstly, I had an IUD, and when I took that out, um, it took a while. I was expecting my cycles to take a while to readjust, um, but then I had what I thought were hot flashes, which seemed really unusual. I went to my doctor and they tested um, hormones. Normally with menopause, your FSH goes way up, but mine was normal. Um, so they had us tracking our cycles and doing uh, ovulation predictor tests and um, temperature monitoring, um, all of the non-invasive things. Uh, and then they added uh, drugs to try and induce ovulation uh, and the dosage just kept going higher and higher until finally they ordered a test called AMH, anti-mullerian hormone, which detects your egg reserves, which for me came back not detectable, mm-hmm. which is what led to our diagnosis. Is there any idea, like do they know why this happened? Um, they did a karyotyping on me, which is basically your genome to see if there was a chunk missing. But mine came back normal, so it's probably just a small mutation. Um, and also, our mother went through menopause early, so that could be a factor as well. So tell us about that conversation. Was your husband with you at the doctor's office when you got the results? And and does that change everything for you? What, what were your immediate reactions to that news? Uh, actually, the first thing I thought of was my sister has healthy eggs. That was the first that- thing you thought of? Basically, yeah. You are close. Yeah. Yeah. My husband was, he's gone to all the appointments with me and I think he was still processing, but I actually saw the AMH on the screen before the doctor said, and I had researched what it meant. Um, So yeah, I just thought right away, hey, it's good to have a sister. Maybe she can donate me some eggs. So instead of, of... I don't want to assume that everybody feels sorry for themselves, but it sounds almost like you kind of skipped over the grief part of, well, I can't, I can't have kids or I can't produce my own eggs. And you immediately just went like you you found this practical solution instantly. Uh, I saw the practicality of it instantly and knew that it would be a grieving process, but I knew that in the end, that is what I would want. You had already grieved. You already had that. There was so much time between when they started trying and um, when she finally got her diagnosis. Right. Um, we had actually already discussed. I already said, like, I know you You guys are having trouble and I want to help if there's ever anything, if you need a surrogate or if you need an egg donor or anything like that. We had already kind of discussed that. So we kind of knew going forward that that was a possibility and we had our minds open to that. Well, who initiated that conversation? Rosie, did you... Um, I offered a few times, um, after my son was born that I, I would love to help. I obviously, I didn't know much about the process because right. I'm part of the statistic that doesn't need to, 
But when she called me, she called me the day she found out what she needed. And um, I discussed it with my husband and he was on board. And we had our first uh, appointment with her doctor in February, which was about three weeks after she asked me. So this is a process that can be very expensive. It's one that doesn't always work. There's no guaranteed success. And so we were kind of kibitzing uh, between the between the two segments and, and during Brett's news, just this idea of why do you want kids so bad? Uh, I think it's a very natural instinct for a lot of people. Not everybody has the instinct that they want to have children, but I think it is very common. And um, I think that we're kind of programmed to be that way. Um, not the same as breathing or sleeping, but it is on that same line um, that people do want to have kids. Lots of people have kids voluntarily. Of course, some who want kids can't. So, so, so you're, are you, I guess your body isn't at any risk of like, let's say the 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 procedure works and you are successfully uh, impregnated. Do, do you know because of your condition? Are there any? Uh, sort of health risks that associate with the pregnancy. And again, like I, I kind of, I sort of, Greg already gave the blanket statement, but I hope that any of these questions we're asking, they, they probably sound clumsy or whatever, but we're genuinely educating ourselves and uh, hopefully there's no offense uh, taken. But do you, so are you going to be at any sort of risk during the pregnancy? So that's a very good question. Um, actually, with IVF, the risks for genetic abnormalities decrease because they tend not to survive in the lab mm. for the five days that they're um, growing there. Um, as far as my condition, I no one has told me otherwise that it will be an issue. Um, the, the problem seems to be the eggs, not anything else. IVF is a lot safer um, just from the research I've done. Don't I'm, I'm not... I'm not a doctor, so I can't say for sure this is all true. But from the research I've done, it looks like uh, IVF is a lot safer in Canada than it is in the United States because here it's not a business. So um, in the States, they state risks such as, um, for my part, the egg donor part, um, cancer could be a risk or it might damage my fertility. But when talking with the doctor here at Heartland, um, they said that because Canada has different laws, it's a lot safer here. So is the very nature of our discussion with the four of us here, uh, Brett and I being two men, Brett not being a father, I being a father, not going through anything close to what you did, because as I mentioned, I had two babies at home before my first wedding anniversary and we weren't pregnant when we got married. It was never a discussion that we had to have. Is this a microcosm? Is this a really an example of the conversations, the clumsy, I think that's a perfect word you use, Brett, that clumsy discussion that people have when this topic of discussion, when this issue comes up for people, they don't really know what to say, how to approach it, how to be with you about it. Is this something that you've been dealing with for some time? And and is this a a regular occurrence in, in your circle? Um, There are some clumsy questions, but I I would much prefer clumsy questions to no questions at all. I'd rather it be an open conversation. Um, I am always there to offer um, suggestions about uh, empathy and how to relate to the person that you're talking to about it. I have received lots of unwanted advice. Oh, yes. I'm sure you have. With childhood, I think, in general. Um, And education, I think, is, is how best to deal with it and, and keep the conversation going Can so that it's not example? so taboo. 
What's a, can you give an example maybe of some of the bad advice or, sure. or the unwanted advice? You've sure. Received? So a very common one is just relax and it'll happen. Mm-hmm. With my diagnosis, no matter how much relaxing I do, it's not going to give me aches. So that's really not helpful. Um, and also it's kind of like telling an angry woman to relax and calm down. It almost makes them more angry, right? So if you're right. telling someone that they should relax... It actually makes them more stressed. Well, and I should, as someone with a, a thermonuclear temper, uh, that, I would say that it's not just uh, when you tell a woman that. It's if you tell me to calm down and I, as I'm getting mad, breath smash. Right. So probably I can relate to the that. Worst, probably the worst thing you could tell them to do, right? <laughs> and then the other thing, too, with that advice is that it almost puts blame on infertile people to not be stressed. They then think it's their fault that they're not being able to conceive because they're stressed, which adds to the stress. So when we talk about the the cost, that's got to be a Mm -hmm. stress. When you hear about some of the public opinion, because some of the public opinion says, well, why should I pay for you? Because there is a move Mm -hmm. to make this publicly funded. There are lobby groups that are trying to work on that. There are some provinces that are quite generous, right? In terms of a tax credit, uh, I think Quebec will will credit you up to two or three treatments uh, against um, against your taxes if you're undergoing treatment. What's the situation in Manitoba? Uh, so in Manitoba, you get a 40% rebate on your uh, fertility expenses that covers drugs and it covers um, costs from the clinic, but it does not cost things like for my sister coming in um, if she needed a hotel room or if she needed um, restaurant or gas money. Um, that's all out of pocket and not covered with the rebate. Um, How do you feel when people say that, that, that you know, why why should... My my tax dollars going toward you having a baby because you know that attitude exists. Right. So a lot of people see infertility as an option, not as a disorder or a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on how you view it. I view it like it's a natural instinct and there's something um, misaligned in your body that medicine can help. Um, so I think it's it's an definitely something that is worth funding. Going to continue our conversation in a moment. We're talking about, it's it's Canadian Infertility Awareness Week. One in six Canadian couples are struggling with infertility. In studio we have Allison, who is uh, dealing with infertility, and her sister Rosalie is going to be an egg donor for her. So we'll talk a little bit more about that after your forecast, which is coming up next. 2.52, we're talking about the fact that it is Canadian Infertility Awareness Week that runs through until May the 13th. One in six Canadian couples are struggling with infertility. And Alison Storseth is here. She's an IVF patient. And her sister Rosalie, oh my gosh, what she's doing for her sister, baby sister, older sister, I don't even know. I can't even tell. I'm younger. I'm about 14 months younger. So what you're doing for your big sister is absolutely incredible. Uh, you are actually, as we speak, you've been you've been growing eggs. I had an ultrasound this morning. Yeah, I've got about um, hopefully somewhere between eight and ten eggs that should be big enough to extract on Thursday or Friday of this week. Wow. So you were implanted with those eggs or they were yours? They're my eggs. Uh, Did they come out of you and go back inside of you? How did that work? No, they're, um, so every woman is, um, 
They have their eggs, and every month, about uh, approximately 100 of them are growing inside their body. And in a normal cycle, a normal um, fertile woman will have one or two eggs grow, and then they'll ovulate the eggs out. So instead of doing that, I am on a few different hormones that stimulate multiple eggs to grow rather than just one or two and also suppress ovulation. So instead of having one or two eggs, I have 10 that are all nice and big and hopefully ready to vacuum out here pretty soon. You use that terminology. Uh, That's literal. Yeah, pretty much. Um, So what they do when they extract the eggs is they have an internal ultrasound. It's like a probe and there's a long needle with almost like a vacuum attached um, and they stick the needle uh, in through the vaginal wall and into the ovary and into the follicle and then they suck all the liquid and eggs right out. And you've already gone through this once. Yeah, I had it done. um, I think my last surgery was December 4th, 2016. So this is my second time going in. Why are you having to do it a second time? The last time they had gotten seven eggs, but by the time the embryos had grown to three days, three of them had already died. And Allison has already used two and they have died and she's going to have the next two implanted this coming month. And she's decided she would like a few more in the bank in case those don't work. So will this be the first time that these fertilized eggs will end up? In you, Allison? Uh, no, I've already done two frozen embryo transfers. Um, they both are three days old, and I've put them in singly, um, and both have uh, not working out. Worked out. So we're going to try again with the last two that are in the freezer, and then hopefully get more in the bank, freezer bank, to use, because I'm hoping for more than one child. So for, so the, I'm just trying to figure out how... Uh, how many times can you do this? Is there a point where they say, okay, this is no longer safe to do that? Or is that, is, or is that an issue at all? Your is- statistics go down with each one. Um, for the first egg, they say, oh, 50% of women are successful or 40% or whatever your statistic might be, whatever group you're in. And then if the first one fails, they're like, well, there's a 30% chance on this one or there's right. a 25% chance on this one. So I think as long as they deem you... Um, Safe as in you don't have some kind of virus or something. Um, as long as you can afford it, you can keep trying. How much does each cycle cost? Uh, so each cycle for us has been approximately 20000 well, That's so not we're, cheap. We're about $30,000 in right now. So, you know, Rosalie and I were joking a little bit and... I asked you the question earlier about, you know, why do you want to have kids so bad? Does it bug you when we joke around like that? It's like, really? Are you sure you want to have kids? I I guess it's easy for us to say, right? I've heard that joke a few times. Um, But again, like for you guys, it was also a natural instinct to want kids or maybe it was an accident. But for many people, they do want kids and do try for kids. So as much as it might be work, it's something that a lot of people still find worthwhile doing. Well, we wish you nothing but success Thank as you. we uh, as we'll keep in touch with you and find out how things go for you and Brendan and Rosalie. You're incredible, Thank little you. sister. Thanks for sharing all this today.
Once again, it is Canadian Infertility Awareness Week, and we have been speaking with Alison Storseth and her sister, Rosalie. Rosalie is donating her eggs to Alison in an attempt to get Alison pregnant. It is coming up to 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. As you may or may not know, one of the things that we really like to do on this program is to highlight the work of young entrepreneurs in our community, those that are making a difference, those that are proudly Winnipeg, and those that are hiring people because that is the evolution of small business and entrepreneurship in Manitoba. And uh, we're going to celebrate uh, one of those companies right now who's having unprecedented growth in the first few months of 2017. The year is charting for big growth for an exchange district tech company. Demand for resolute technology solutions, managed services has driven significant team growth. And in studio with us, we have Rod DeVos, who is the president of Resolute. We have Trish Bishop, who is the director of service delivery, and Colton DeVos, who is the marketing and communication specialist for Resolute. Their website, by the way, before I forget, Resolute. TS.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll start with you, Rod, the president of the company. What is Resolute? Resolute is a full service IT uh, services company. We service typically the small to medium business market in, in, well, anywhere, actually. So we have clients in Winnipeg, obviously. Um, we have clients that are national, so uh, across the board in Canada. We have U.S. customers that we service as well. All the way, all the work is done from here. And I mentioned that when I went to your website, Resolute TS, uh, TS standing for Technology Solutions, it was very clear right away what it is that you do and what it is that you offer. So Trish, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about how does a company uh, in Winnipeg, Hamilton, Halifax, Dallas, Texas, differentiate itself from these customers that need these services because clearly geography isn't an issue anymore. Why isn't it? An issue. Well, there's a couple of things. If we if we look at Resolute and what they've been doing, and and how I look at their successes, uh, number one, um, Rod's ability to identify like just outstanding talent, and and there's a great pool of talent here in Winnipeg, which is phenomenal. So that's that's the first big thing. You have to have the talent. You have to have the discipline. Uh, and then in terms of being virtual, I mean, we're all we're completely set up for that now. The, the Internet has has grown to a point now where that, that's no longer an issue in terms of being able to provide services. The managed services that we provide are I mean, we have bilingual uh, service capability. We have lots of things that we're able to offer to ensure that customers get what it is that they need. We can we could be anywhere, uh, but we're choosing to be here. And uh, and really, when I look at what they're able to deliver, uh, it's it's outstanding. It's it's some of the best that I've seen actually in a twenty year plus career in IT. And Colton, uh, part of your job title is marketing specialist. So how do you market the your company to other markets? Uh, well, part of it is this uh, reaching out to you know uh, the media. It's also uh, providing a solid stream of content uh, for for our uh, potential customers and for our clients and for people that just want to know what we're up to. So that means social media, blog content, things like that. So giving people an inside look at what you do, and you know, you talk about blog content and and these other uh, forms of uh, sharing. Is it critical, Trish, like to to have the companies? Uh, sharing this sort of stuff does it is it what connects uh potential customers and turn them into real customers how, how do you separate and make yourself uh 
um, wanted, I guess. Well, you know what? I, I have to say that one of the big reasons why I love joining Resolute uh, in this role is that uh, fundamental principle that they have is, is around reciprocity. So, sorry, reciprocity. <laughs> so, the more that we can contribute to other people's success, the right. more we see success from that. So, it's it's very reciprocal. So, uh, Rod's very very involved in the community uh, in a number of ways, both on business and 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 other philanthropic endeavors that he takes on. But ultimately, the more that we recognize the successes of our clients. Uh, the more that we find that we're getting lots of successes back. Okay, so can you give us an example of how you would do that, maybe with someone that you've worked with? How, just give us an idea for those that this is an abstract sort of concept. Can you can you reel it in for us? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a very tactical one. We had a major power outage at our uh, at our office about a week and a half ago, and uh, and one of our clients, uh, G three, right next door, they just said, "Come on over." So our help desk people jumped up, went over took over offices over at their space and and we totally plugged that on social media we we uh you know we had it on twitter we had it on linkedin so we gave them that back and and we're building that reciprocal relationship where we're saying hey bonus for g3 like thanks for standing up for us that was fantastic and and at the end of the day we are just building a deeper deeper relationship with the customer rod where is the office by the way uh it's right on the corner of actually bannatine in maine so right in the exchange and when you, you founded the business in 2005, yep. uh, how many staff did you start with? Five. And what do you have now? 64. Really? <laughs> What's the, what is the, uh, the difference with having internal IT, like your, your own IT department, uh, as opposed to like, outsourcing it? I guess what's the benefit okay. of outsourcing it? Yeah. Um, in terms of like sometimes when you have an internal IT and you're a small to medium business, you need so many skills. So part of the benefit of outsourcing it is, is you know, we provide those skills. Even if you need a fraction of a person with this particular skill set, you just charge it back as a service. But it will be guaranteed. There's a service level around it. We will make the commitment. And it doesn't force a small to medium business to have all those salaries. So is, is this one of those disruption things that we talk about where now it becomes uh, someone who maybe starts a business that's two or three people? Maybe it's a two brothers or a, or, a, or a father and son that says we got this great idea, but in order to compete, we need to have web presence. We need to be able to service our customers in a certain fashion. This is where you step in, right? And now yep, you don't have – critical mass is – you kind of throw that out of the window, right? You don't have to get there on your own. Right. It, it's it's almost like a cooperative in a, in a certain sense. Is, is it fair to characterize it that way, Trish? Oh, 100% because as much as – as we see one customer come in with a need, we see how that need can service other clients that we have, and we can then make that available, productize it. Because we're able to scale it and keep it consistent, we're able to keep the cost down, and then everyone can benefit from that. So we see that that's very much uh, what the model is based on. So we're, we're very customer intimate and that we want to understand what our customers' needs are, so we can totally do that, and we package it up in a great way. Talking to our new friends at Resolute Tech Solutions, Technology Solutions. They were introduced to us actually by our colleagues at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. The website is ResoluteTS.com, and we'll continue our chat with Rod DeVos, who is the president of Resolute, Colton DeVos, who is the marketing and communication specialist, and Trish Bishop is the director of service delivery. More of our chat after traffic. 
and weather. All up next. We love to celebrate successes in the Winnipeg business community. We're doing that right now with our new friends from Resolute Technology Solutions. In studio with us, Rod DeVos, president of Resolute Technology Solutions. We've got Trish Bishop here. She's a new Winnipegger from Halifax. (laughs) She's director of service delivery. And Colton DeVos, marketing and communication specialist. One of the things, uh, hot button topic for any person who's got even a minuscule amount of knowledge about IT is apps. Uh, app. I oh, got there's an app for that. Of course, Apple market it that way. I've always wondered what makes a good app and what makes a good app developer. Is it is it technical expertise first, Rod? Uh, to some degree, it's creativity first. So you have to think of a design of what it should actually be like. In which case, we call that architecture. So you spend some time on the whiteboard, doing the design, spending enough time with your customers to find out exactly what they want to achieve by it. And then after that, the other part is technical, yes. And enough quality to actually make sure that, you know, you've tested it on every kind of platform for mobile. So are you one of those people, if I've got a business, I'm bricks and mortar or I'm some mm-hmm. uh, company and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I've got to get into this. I've got a real uh, understanding or an idea of how I want to serve my customers better. Yeah. We think we can do it through an app. Do I need much more than that to come to you to start harvesting an idea? Well, sometimes what you do need is to integrate back into their backend systems. So let's say somebody wants to create an order. It has to go somewhere. Yeah, but I'm talking about if if I'm at the point where I think I need this, yeah. do I come and see somebody like you? Absolutely. Like you're a good place to start. Absolutely. And trust you with all that other Absolutely. That all that other stuff. People always talk about uh, training and being a big part of that is we mentioned the word co-op, but there's another co-op that applies here, Trish. Yeah, I, I mean we're we've got fantastic relationships with uh, both universities in town and bringing on talent. And uh, one of the things that I love about the co-op program at Resolute is uh, how deep these students get to get in, uh, get their hands dirty. I mean, they, they literally, when they walk away, they're taking um, actual hands-on capability into wherever they go next. Sometimes it's up with it's with us <laughs> because we want to keep that top talent. Uh, sometimes it's with other organizations, but everyone is going to benefit, but most especially those students when they move on wherever they're going in their careers. Colton, 2017 is charting to be a year of big growth for your company. Why is that? Yeah, there was a number of reasons. So uh, uh, recently we hired up to, we had 10 people since the start of 2017 that we've brought on board, at least three or four people who are bilingual. Uh, We had a bunch of internal promotions to some roles that never existed before, some management, some senior uh, consultant level. Uh, we're st- we're, we are launching a new co-op program for uh, infrastructure-related learning and network management uh, in addition to our developer co-op program and just uh, a whole lot of really exciting changes that are happening. With all this growth, we have to manage it to make sure we're still the company that we were when we were smaller as well. So, yeah, I guess that that's what you call the corporate culture, right? You don't want to lose that identity. And so is part of that just being in Winnipeg, hiring good people? Where does that start? Where does it Where does it end? Obviously, you're on a journey here, but where does that corporate culture, where do you see it? Uh, we've got a, like three core values that are really important to us. So it's being client-focused, going the extra mile, and doing the right thing. And we try to make sure that every everyone on the team really follows those those values and re- really believes in them. So that's kind of a way that we help to tie everything together. So we do that with our community giving, with our client work, and just around the office. 
The website is ResoluteTS.com. TS is short for Technology Solutions. They're a Winnipeg company in the Exchange District. 2017 going to be a big year for Resolute. So we want to thank our guests, Rod DeVos, who is the president of Resolute, Trish Bishop, who is the director of service delivery, and Colton DeVos, who is the marketing and communications specialist. Pleasure to meet all three of you. Hopefully yeah. we'll see you again thank sometime you. down the road. Pleasure to meet you. you. You guys are hiring, right? So we are uh, hiring. check out the website, <laughs> ResoluteTS. .com. That's not a bad thing. Your forecast is next. 3.38. Uh, we've got Julie and Richard coming in studio in a few minutes to let us know what's going on on their program from 4 till 7. Just on uh, globalnews.ca. Russian site streams live video of Canadian living rooms and daycares. This is startling. I started uh, seeing something come up uh, around this story uh, yesterday. The idea that there's a website that you can go to and watch the video feeds from your your doorbell, the different video cameras, security cameras that you have around your house and around your work. And this is a site that people go to to watch random videos of everywhere from your front door to daycare centers. So I know Richard and Julie are are following that, and you can go to globalnews.ca to uh, check that out as we speak. Yesterday was the Canadian Football League uh, draft, and the Blue Bombers took uh, faith Ikakadi out of the uh, University of Iowa Hawkeyes program, defensive lineman, first overall. And then they made a trade. They trade their sixth pick to Calgary to trade down, as they say, they got the number eight and number 34 pick, where they took University of Manitoba, offensive lineman Jeff Gray, a move that was uh, applauded by a lot of people, including myself, um, Gray, you may know, is a member of the Green Bay Packers, signed as a priority-free agent. Uh, but the Blue Bomber saying, if you're going to play in the CFL at some point, Jeff Gray, you are going to do it here in Winnipeg. And Gray was not the only Winnipegger chosen by the Blue Bombers. At number 23 in the third round, Abu Conte was uh, chosen there. He played at Grambling State University, uh, but he is also a graduate of the Kildonan East Revere's uh, program. We're joined now by the Revere's uh, head coach, Jason Hawken. How are you doing, Hawk? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's been a long time since we've seen each other face-to-face. Great to have you on the radio, Coach, and uh, talk about how excited it must have been to hear uh, that Abu had been uh, chosen by the Blue Bombers. You know what? It, it was fantastic. I, uh, when I first saw in the draft, when it popped up on the screen, and then you know my phone went off between texts and calls, and um, everybody was so excited. Uh, Abu's just, just a great kid all around, hardworking young man, started uh, with basketball as his first love, transitioned uh, when he was here in grade 12 to football, natural athlete, but I tell you, everybody's so excited. The building's excited, the kids. Uh, it's just fantastic for the community and for everybody involved. Hang on a second here. It's uh, Brett here, by the way, Coach Hawkins. Greg just said, good to talk to you again. Do you guys know each other or something? Yeah, we played football together. What, 30 years ago, Hawk? We do. It's, it's been a while. You betcha. <laughs> Where did you play? <laughs> St. James Rods, baby. Oh, wow. You betcha. Yeah, you bet. So first day of spring uh, camp today, Coach. What a great piece of news to to share with uh, the, the latest uh, you know version of your team. This has got to be uh, a real checkmark, a gold star for your program. You know what? It really is. I mean, if you, our programs, uh, we're 11 years old, so, you know, not compared to some of the programs in the city that have been around a long time. Things like this, like having uh, Abu drafted, um, this past year we won our first championship in, in, our, in our existence. Um, a couple of years ago we had uh, Brad Mikuloff, who was um, – 
uh, the Bombers had him try out with them. So he, you know, he wore the blue and gold for a, for a couple of, I think, exhibition games. And just little things like that really help make the program, legitimize it, and let people see that, hey, this is, this is a real program. There's good things happening, aside from all the wonderful things, helping kids grow up and all those things that football brings. But to, to have that uh, next-level status, it's key. And it just you can't say enough about the value of that. What exactly is, uh, uh, is it pronounced Reaver? Reavers. Reavers. So the, the Reavers, they, they'd uh, patrolled the border of Scotland. They were kind of like, uh, we describe them as rogues for hire, if you will, kind of like, uh, you know, pirates of uh, on land. And uh, so it's the Scottish tradition in the community. Um, back in the day, they were they were voting on mask, mascots. And supposedly the, the, the story is there's a couple of choices by the students in the, in the 70s. And it was, uh, if you remember back, trucking was pretty big. So uh, truckers was in there along with Reavers, but uh, they went they went with uh, Reavers, which was a good fit. So it, it's worked out well. It's an outstanding story and a, and a great legend and a, and a great logo to boot. So talk about uh, Abu, you know, we often hear about the special relationships coaches have and players I mean Jason uh, we're a a prime example uh, probably bumped into each other once or twice in the last 30 years but you know shared some success on the field just talk about that special relationship not only amongst players but amongst coaches and players now that you're on that coaching side of the equation. Well, you know what, it's, it's, it's something that, like you said, we, we haven't seen each other much, but it, it's a bond that's never broken. And when I talk to my players, we, we talk about how never in your life will you ever be at the point where, you know, there's 50 or 60 people working towards that common goal. And that common goal is, is winning. And so, um, you know, when you work that hard and you have that focus, and I tell them, you know, you're going to go into business, you're going to do other things, but at no point will you necessarily have a group working towards that one common goal. So when you work that hard, uh, you know, the bond you form is for life. And, and like you said, you may see somebody once every 10 years or longer, but you always have that bond. And I just have to share a cool story with you. Um, after we won our championship this year, so it had been a couple months, and uh, the players received their rings, and uh, I'll never forget, it was the morning after, O Canada. And in my morning class, my grade 12s, I probably have about seven students in there that, that were on the football team. And just to look around, and I, and, and I saw their rings, and I got, I got emotional for a minute because I thought, wow, these guys are bonded for life as well as we are with them as coaches. And uh, like you said, it's just, it just can't be beat. I know other sports are wonderful, but football, just that camaraderie and all the, all the people working so hard, uh, it's, it's really second to none in, in my eyes. Yeah, the, the life lessons in football, in spite of all the things that people talk about, and particularly you know, a head trauma and, and those long-term injuries. I, that, I put that aside uh, so often when I talk about football and the value that, that it brings to a, a young man and a young woman's life because uh, girls are playing football in unprecedented numbers now. Hey, de- definitely. You know, with the last couple of years, we've had a, a few um, uh, girls on the team, and I tell you, they've played before. They played with some of our feeder programs, and, and they contribute. I tell them, you, you have to earn your spot, and they, and they definitely do. And uh, it's super interesting. You're right. When you talk about things like um, head trauma and concussions. Uh, things have changed so much since when 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 we played together. Uh, I look at practices back then, and we did you know you do a lot. You did a lot of hitting, a lot of drills, and things have gotten so much better. Are they perfect? No, but I just look at how much my coaching philosophy has changed, and and you know you're trying to keep up the intensity, but trying to limit the, some of the contact, right? Because you know studies are showing that practices, if you can limit that, you can drop your your you know concussion risks, and it's all about health to me. And you know with these kids, especially coaching them in high school um, they become like your own kids and and you want to keep them as healthy as you can so um, it's definitely lots happening and football does get a um, you know a bad 
uh, bad stroke of, of the brush sometimes, but you know what? It is a great sport, and there's so many good qualities in it that uh, I'm working hard to, to keep that going. Well, it'll be something else to see Abu in uh, blue and gold, uh, whether it be in the first regular season game or the first preseason game. Uh, Jason, I know you'll have a, a massive uh, smile, and, and uh, your heart will be welled up with pride. Congratulations to you and to your entire program on uh, yesterday's uh, draft pick of Abu Conte, the former Kildonan East Reaver. Thanks, my friend. Thanks. Thank you so much, Abu. He's worked so hard. Everything he gets, he's deserved, and he's a wonderful young man. So, Bomber fans, go blue. Jason Hawkins, head coach. He's 346 on 680 CJOB. Sorry, he's the head coach of the Kildonan East Reavers and a former teammate of Greg Mackling. Go Rods. Long live the Rods. (laughs) Uh, What position did you play, by the way? I was a wide receiver, sticky-handed wide receiver. As slow as I was, catch anything in the 204, baby. Really? You betcha. Is that because your hands were covered in stick No, that was out loud by, <laughs> by the time I started playing. So, okay. Yeah, good for you, man. It's uh, 346. We'll have a look at traffic as well as your forecast. Up next. 350 in the 204. Oh, I guess it's the 431 now, too. Do you know anybody with a 431 area code? I do. Yeah. Do you have one? No, oh, but okay. I know some people. I said, what's your number? And they say... Where do you live now? <laughs> I sit right here. I can't be friends with you anymore with That's that phone good. number. There was a Seinfeld episode on that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. Kramer wouldn't date someone in the outside the 212 or the 919 yeah. or whatever. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what are you chasing uh, this afternoon? I know you got Our lots tails. of plans. Oh, yeah. I know. You know, Monday's funny that way, right? You just, you know, a couple of days, you get out of the routine, and then you're back in it. Thanks for the uh, Bananas Jubilee or whatever that was you brought for us in the newsroom for you're lunch welcome. today. It was delicious. What uh, have you managed to dig up and feed us between four and seven? Oh, nice. Nice. Well Thank done. You. Nice segue. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh Hill 70, the, the story of a soldier that you've been hearing about on uh, Global News here on 680 CJOB. We get the story behind the story. Zar Premji from the Global Newsroom, uh, an exclusive interview with family members. Uh, that's coming up and uh, full details on uh, the evening news at 6 o'clock with uh, Loren and Heather. And uh, later after 4.30, a conversation with the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg in aspiring. And, you know, when we talk about global and the community, this is a very interesting community story. Absolutely. And, and you've been, uh, Brett's been reading the stories about Lighthouse Mission having that problem today, and that's going to impact a lot of people that are less fortunate. Ironically enough, a local couple have decided to set up a community pantry. So if, you, if you've driven through different communities and you've seen the free bookshelves, mm-hmm. they've done that with food. And you can open up the doors and say, like, I'm hungry, I don't have anything for supper, and you can take a box of craft Dinner. And they've just asked people to only take what they absolutely need. And you can also drop off donations. And they've only been doing it for a couple of days, and it looks like it is taking off. So Fantastic. we could be seeing these in other neighborhoods. We'll talk about where they got the idea and how you could set up one yourself. We'll go to Moscow, where Global National's Chief European Correspondent Jeff Semple is right now. He's going to talk to us about the French elections and the aftermath of that. And we'll also go to uh, Quebec, where Mike Armstrong is uh, giving us the latest on the Quebec flooding situation. Thanks, guys. Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. There you have the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. With the minute that we have left here, just want to quickly, we already gave away some prizes today for Chris Jericho. 
The words of, thank you, Julie, Krista Berg tickets. Uh, Chris Jericho tickets is what we're giving away this week, but we also uh, want to point to an online contest that we have been holding, Cirque du Soleil Curios Mother's Day contest, where you were to tell us why your mom is the greatest, and 680CJOB might read your story on the air, and if so, then you and your mom will be off to Cirque du Soleil Curios. Today, we have a story here from Stacy. Poirier. I hope I am pronouncing your last name correctly. I apologize if I did not. Stacy says, my mom is amazing. It sounds corny. However, it's a giant understatement. She has been my rock for years. She stayed beside me through my divorce and has never left my corner. To top it off, she is the best grandmother a girl could ask for. My kids are so lucky to have her as a constant presence in their lives. She's spent years coming to every event for me and now shows up to every event for them. She never does anything for herself, but everything for everyone else. I don't know where I'd be without her. Again, that is Stacy Barrier. So Stacy, you and your mom are going to go see Cirque du Soleil Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities, under the big top at Keniston and Sterling Line. That starts on June 2nd. Our promo team will be in touch with you. And we have more stories to read throughout the week. On Mackling and McGarry. Go to cjob.com, get your name, and and, uh, give us your story. We'd love to read it on air. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Thanks to Jeff Fortier and Master Control. Richard and Julie are up next.